0: We'll
1: Welcome to the One Within All to another episode of the Universe Podcast. I'm your host, Chance, and today I have a lovely guest from New Zealand named Veda Austin, who is here to share some of the secrets of probably the most mysterious aspect of all nature, which is water. Water is symbolically linked to the sun, to life, to light itself, memory, including the Hebrew word or letter M, Mem, which is our letter M which is where you get the idea of water and memory. So, mam in Hebrew means water. We have so much to explore with Veda today. She is a pioneer in the field of photographing water in its state between uh, freezing and liquid, where there are images and information there in the intelligence of this all-pervasive primordial element. Through which we are able to exist. So I'm very excited to be talking to Veda today about some of the things she has found in her research and how the uh, ideas that she has discovered are able to help us live happier, healthier, and most importantly, better flowing lives. I'm all about the flow, flow state. So Veda, thank you so much for being here and welcome to Interverse. And please uh, tell us more about yourself.
2: Well, it's a pleasure to be here, and thank you for having me. Uh, Yes, so I've been studying the life of water, really, for the last nine and a half years. And my area of specialty is in crystallography. So essentially, I I have a very special technique where, like you read, it's the stage between molecular chaos and molecular order, between liquid and solid. It is what Dr. Jerry Pollock talks about as the fourth phase of water. It is the stage in between, and it's a very subtle stage, but it's what I call the state of creation, where water is able to use its building blocks of ice to really start to design. And I've discovered that it designs in three ways relative to this particular type of freezing method one is a signature pattern so different types of water like tap water spring water rain water filtered water they all have a signature pattern that you can identify and that is it repeats so i've i've studied it over a long period of time i look for patterns and things and i've basically kind of calculated just from all the data that there is a lot of repeat patterns when it comes to certain types of waters the second type which i'm much um, better known for uh, is the art. So I always say that art is the heart of water. And because I worked professionally as an oil painter for many years, I believe that water communicates in uh, this artistic way with me because I see the world through a very artistic lens. And actually, everyone, everybody actually sees the world, the entire world, through the lens of water because our islands is 99% water. In fact, by molecular count, we're 99% water. That means there's more water molecules in our body than stars in the Milky Way.
1: But, and uh, we're underwater right now. <laughs> you know, we think that we're not on, in water, but the air is full of it.
2: Well, actually, that, that immediately kind of ties in with something I've been saying for a long time, and that we have electrical charge that can be measured by heart math. math it's a very real thing. And the water that's in the air that we, like you said, are swimming in, but we don't realize it, is very attracted to our electrical charge. It gives us this kind of web of, um, of, of, ab- and ability to absorb information, subtle information. It's how we can sense. Things around us. It's how we can meet somebody and they seem so familiar, but we don't know why. Even when we've never even held their hand or touched them or hugged them or anything, those webs of energy um, are always looking for their patterned twin. And so when you meet someone who has an energy web very similar to yours, uh, quite often that's where we have that instant immediate connection with somebody or that I that kind of feeling of love at first sight which is really more about uh, rather than twin twin flames it's kind of like a reference to twin patterns so it's it's a very interesting area to get into when you start kind of thinking about the water that's in the air so but bringing it around to the the art so um, like I mentioned, art is the heart of water so for for me, when I am looking at um, at this kind of communication, I can't really call it anything else because that's actually for me exactly what is happening here. For example, I might um, smile at the water. And in the the, um, ice, after I've frozen it, um, using my short-term method of crystallography, quite often I'll see a happy face in the water. Um, My cat, Jeeva, years ago, he was looking at my Petri dish. He'd often try and, like, lick the Petri dishes, or sometimes he would stare into the Petri dishes as if he was seeing something that we couldn't see, of which he probably was, and he'd try and scoop something out of there. It was quite interesting to watch him do it. But I've got incredible pictures of of Jeeva's face showing up in the water. I've seen people that have put... Um, because I teach this, anyone can do this. So um, one of the first images that someone else got was when they put some water beside a bowl of fruit and she got this incredibly beautiful and perfect apple um, in the ice. So this art that I'm talking about is not as subjective as a lot of art pieces in an art gallery might be. It's quite interesting because he's become a friend and mentor of mine, Dr. Gerald Pollack. Years ago, he said, you know, why don't you, so just to be a little bit more scientific, he said, why don't you put like a pamphlet together or like a questionnaire together, sorry, an online questionnaire have 25 of your photographs and under each one say, what does this image look like to you? So I circulated this questionnaire around through people that I knew, but that, um, that, so that people didn't know what they were looking at. They didn't know it was coming from me. And it was very interesting because 200 and I think 97 or 98 people did the survey. And 85% of people were able to recognize the ice images relative to what the influence was prior to freezing. And out of those 25 images, there were three that 100% of people were able to recognize. So that was very, very telling just as to how, how clear some of these images really are. So the third mode of communication is the one I think that is starting to gain more and more and more awareness of how incredible it truly is. And that is in the area of what I call hydroglyphs. And this began quite some years ago. Like I've been doing this for four and a half years solid. So I've been working with water as a researcher for nine and a half years. But for four and a half years, I've been working um, in the area of of identifying um, hydroglyphs. So a hydroglyph is essentially a symbol in ice that is both recognizable and repeatable. So when I began this work, um, my, I had three influences or people that inspired me to do this. So one is very, very well known, although not embraced at all by the scientific community, um, who is Misaru Amoto. He cherry-picked the photos to share which ones best represented what he was trying to say, which is why he wasn't embraced um, by that scientific community. However, what he did do was really open the door um, for people to be able to see themselves as sensitive bodies of water, sensitive to thoughts and environment and sound and these kinds of things. The second person, his name is Laurent Costa. He's not so well known. He wrote a book called Journey into the Heart of Water. And he took microscopic photos very similar to moto, but he had a different kind of uh, basis in that he did not want to experiment on water. And I'm much in the same camp as him because what I've seen is that water is very, very responsive and responds and communicates in a way in which I could have never imagined um, years and years and years ago. So. What he would do was he would sometimes do what I I do now because inspired by him, which was like he would smile at the water, but he was looking um, at the frozen water and then he'd flash freeze it and look under a microscope. And he was getting happy faces. He was getting hearts. He was getting fish. And that really inspired me because what I was seeing with him was that he was seeing pictures rather than geometries. So Emoto's work was very much an ice crystal geometries that looked a lot like... um, Snowflakes. And we're all well most people are very attracted to geometries. But what, what Laurent was seeing was a mix of geometry and imagery. So, and that really, really appealed to me. So the third person and I am bringing this around to hydroglyphs the third person, he, um, his name was Thomas Hieronymus. He was a radionic engineer, and he made a very interesting observation when he went into a Parisian meat market he noticed that the freshly placed organs of an animal appeared to be affecting the way the frost froze on the glass behind where they were placed. For example, if there was an, or- an organ of a, of a liver or a heart, the frost would freeze into their uh, corresponding shapes. And his hypothesis was that there seemed to be some kind of life force energy still emanating out of these organs, even though they were not attached to an animal, based on the fact that there was water in the blood. Each organ of a body has a sonic signature, which is kind of like cymatics in a way, in a a different kind of way, where there is a sonic, there is a sound that comes with each organ, and that sound affects the water and the blueprint of the water in, in the blood. And so it's quite interesting because what he thought was happening was that that energetic blueprint held in the water in the blood was communicating with the water in the air, which was then so cold it froze into that shape. And when I saw his work, it inspired me a lot because he was seeing it with his naked eye, whereas Emoto and Laurent were both looking at things through a microscope. And years ago, I didn't have a microscope. And so I really, really wanted to see if water had memory. I wanted to see if it was real for myself. And so my journey began in that way. But what happened was when I started to learn more and more about water, I learned that there's kind of two types of water. And this two types of water kept following me. <clears throat> and my dad is Maori, which are the indigenous people of New Zealand. And the Maori word for spirit is wairua. It means two waters, the physical and the spiritual waters, of which I think we have both within us. And what's interesting is that the more I observe, I think that the spiritual aspect of water is the observer, like a witness, not in judgment. And this is a very important piece to bring it around to why I started Hydroglyphs, because when my teenage son saw Emoto's work, and Moto's work was very, very much in contrast. And as much as I, um, I, I kind of have watched a lot of people really, really get very excited when they see things in contrast. For example, even when I share contrasting photos, people go, wow, because they, for some reason we love to see the worst and the best because somehow the, all the in-between is like not as exciting as, the, as, as these two extremes. But actually when you're working with children, which so many of us are, as as parents or as teachers or, or whatever we're doing with the children, you know, it's, it's it's really important for to be reminded that sometimes when you when they look at these extremes, they they're always looking to identify with one or the other, and if they can't identify with one or the other, they can get confused. So when my son saw Emoto's ex, sort of extremes of heavy metal and classical music, being a young man who like happened to like Tupac and rap, um, he 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 said, "I think the water hates me." He came in all concerned. He said, "I think the water hates me." I'm like, "Why?" Because to me, I mean, gosh, I, that was my son saying something like that. And and he said, "Well, I I don't like classical music, and I and you know I don't like heavy metal, but like if I have to be one or the other, I'm neither." He said, "I think the water just hates me." Is it just being destroyed in my body when, um, you know, when I'm listening to, to my music? And I'm like, oh, my God, no, absolutely not. Water's nature is not to judge. It's one of the reasons it's my spiritual teacher in so many ways is that Actually, it's more interested in what you're feeling than what you're thinking, which we can get into later. It's far more interested in this expression of of movement, and judgment is just does not come into it. I said, I'm going to show you. So I started to uh, use music, all different genres of music, and I would put my petri dish of water beside the um, the speaker. I'd leave the room. And I'd come back after the song had finished, I would immediately freeze it using my short-term technique. So for anyone that doesn't know about that, essentially what I'm doing is in the very, very beginning, I used to completely freeze water solid because I didn't know anything different. But now what I do is I've become more and more familiar with the more new science of water. I was very curious to see what was happening as the water was beginning to freeze. And so I started to open the freezer earlier and earlier and earlier to see what was happening. And I observed after about five minutes that there was ice underneath and liquid on top. I'm like, Oh, I wonder what's happening in there. So I took out the um, Petri dish and I held it up and the liquid water drained away and I was left with the most clear crystallography. The light was able to shine through. The imagery was so clear. And I realized as I, and and the more I've done this, the more I've become to very aware of how, what the stages are that water freezes at. So there's, it kind of goes through three phases um, in the freezing process. This liquid crystal stage, which is the stage that I work with now and have done for, gosh, eight and a half years. I I froze water solid for a year. Then it kind of creates a layer on top with a space in between. So there's two layers, and then there's a liquid layer in the middle that freezes last. So uh, the more I became familiar with all of this process of freezing, the more I'm like, oh, this this is very, very interesting, very, very cool, and that's just what I teach people. But bringing it back to the music, so I was using all of these different genres of music, and I observed that water seemed to like to pick up on words, certain words and songs, and then design either artistically or through imagery um, or symbols. And so when I used the song Stairway to Heaven, and I repeated that about 12 times because songs are really easy to repeat, I kept seeing this stairway shape appear in the ice. I'm like, oh, I I wonder what that means. Like, is that relative? That that seems relative to the song, to the stairway? And so I'm like, oh, okay. And so I I saw it, it kept happening. And then I thought, I wonder if that actually means stairway. So I wrote the word stairway, put my Petri dish of water on top of it for 30 seconds it doesn't have to be that long, but for a protocol, I like 30 seconds. It's not too long and too short. I froze it using my technique, and I saw the stairway appear. And then I um, did that again and again and again until I actually have got it now more than 50 times. So in my mind, 50 was a non-random number. And I thought, this is a symbol for the word stairway but then what do you do with a stairway relative to that song? So I wrote the words climb up and I saw the stairway again. Now, after four and a half years of doing this, I only have 36 hydroglyphs. That doesn't seem like a lot for such a long time, but when you have to repeat them 50 times and then find their layers of meaning, of which I've, I feel like i barely touched on, I feel like there's so much more there. What you start realizing is that you actually have a symbolic sort of Language. When I asked water, because you know, I know that my work is fringe, but I do it in a fairly methodical way. And the hydroglyphs started to become of interest to the scientific community. When I last spoke in October, I was the last speaker at the annual water conference in Germany, led by Dr. Jerry Pollard. And what was interesting was that when I spoke and I shared sixty-four examples of all these hydroglyphs. Um, they actually Jerry said to me firstly, "This could be one of the greatest discoveries of our time, and then he also said that um, invited me to write up a scientific paper and that he would publish it in his journal i 've been offered publication once it 's done in three journals so far so it 's kind of a big deal, and I think it 's because of the repeatability that it 's a big deal um, and so what 's kind of been happening with With this is that I've noticed after speaking to people that have focused on ancient picture languages, that it has an overlap to some degree with hieroglyphs, which were essentially a picture language that wasn't designed to be spoken, but designed to be seen and felt and to convey kind of very big concepts in one picture. So it wasn't like our language where we kind of say oh this is a cup and this is a this and this and this it's it's kind of a much bigger um, story that's being shared so um so the hydroglyphs have become kind of a a, a big deal and that was an extremely long-winded way of answering that question <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's what I like there's plenty to dig into in what you said and uh, like my job is where to start but there has to be some connection to the discoveries you're making and the wisdom of the ancient peoples and especially like the mythological and religious traditions of the world one thing that I do on this channel a lot is find the commonality and syncretism of the various spiritual traditions and show that they're coming from a unified source. And that this idea of the savior mediator uh, you know, the, the hero God that is the one that is like our bridge to heaven, so to speak has is the same being, you know, just dressed up differently in different cultures. And one of the things that's really important about this idea of the, Savior deity is that this being gave the runes or gave the letters, taught language, written language to humans. And many of the versions of this being have words in their name pertaining to water, like Bacchus is one of the versions. He, The word Bach means a river or stream. (laughs) Mercury is one of these versions. Mer is ocean or water or sea. And it goes on. There's actually many versions of them. And uh, one of the big common grounds is that they gave the letters or gave the runes. And that's very fascinating, especially too that, like the ancient Etruscan, uh, who are like Proto-Phoenicians or what part of some kind of universal worldwide empire that is very obscured and maybe even covered up in history. They're uh, the Italians, the people of Italy currently. They were called the Etruscans and they had and they weren't the only ones that had this name for their gods, but they called their gods the ICER or the Icer. (laughs) And now we have the word ice in that. So it's very fascinating. And I wonder, you know, if there could possibly be something to what you've discovered that ancient people possibly used as a way to derive alphabets, because the origin of alphabets in written languages is, you know, other than the purely functional, like. Stick languages where they're just chiseling with um, and it's mostly straight lines and right angles. When you get into the more curvy, flowing, fluid looking alphabets, it's pretty much obscure in terms of our historical view on where that stuff came from. And there's a lot of theories, but, you know, maybe the ice taught people how their first languages. So that's a very interesting idea.
2: I mean, you're, you're talking my language now because I, I really love this topic. But when I asked water, what is a hydroglyph, it replied in hydroglyphs. And what the hydroglyphs said were living messages. So a hydroglyph is a living message. And so it's very interesting that it is a living message. It's not just a message. So the way in which it's even communicating this language is that it's alive. It's a living message. Of course, water is living. So there is a life to it. And I think that there is so much more depth in that very simple answer than, than I, I've I even realized yet. And when it comes into language, I one of the things that I've shared in um, a couple of uh, to a couple of friends, uh, was a dream that I had many, many years ago before I started doing this work. And I think I must have only been about Mm. 12 or something. But I I dreamt that I was in an arched kind of um, ice cave in Antarctica. I remember the dream because somebody had told me where I was in the dream, but I don't remember speaking to them. Um, like or seeing them, but I, I heard their voices saying, "You're in Antarctica," and so I'm walking through this arched tunnel, and this tunnel kind of moved through, um, and why, why it wound its way downward and then kind of went up, and on each side, on the sides of the tunnel of this ice, were these kind of shapes and designs um, in the ice. And so what now I'm seeing hydroglyphs. They really remind me of that dream that I had where I was looking at that thinking in my, you know, in my, um, in my dream. Oh, they kind of remind me of like um, in some ancient language. I, I wonder what that means. Even in my dream, I remember that. And because it was such a distinctive dream, you know, it stuck with me all this time. So when it comes to language, I think that the ancients, I always like the saying though the um, the future is ancient, (laughs) and so when it comes to this language though, I think what water is—it's almost like it could potentially be the bridge to, um, like, speaking telepathically. So it's like rather than going from the written language that we understand through to picture language, and picture language is we are actually very, very good at absorbing the information of picture languages. We use emojis so much. Emojis are kind of the hieroglyphs of today.
1: I've fact, thought that too.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I can see, uh, you know, young people, um, you know, can have entire conversations with emojis and they know exactly what they're talking about and they don't even need to use words. So there is this idea, and and even when, you know, I'm the kind of person that will often put a heart at the end of my conversations if I'm texting or a little kiss or something, and when someone sees that, they know that that's like a sweet emotion kind of saying, oh, I care about you. But a heart shape is not a word. It's a shape. It's a picture. But we understand that picture. We understand very well if a person does something over and over again, like leaves a heart at the end of their text messages, and all of a sudden they don't do it. Oh, maybe there's something wrong. And so we're very familiar with reading these languages, even though we might not have thought about it too much. So, from a picture language, which is a feeling into pictures, I think that then, hydro, hydro, I mean, sorry, hydroglyphs, this kind of very visual, fluid life language, could be slowly leading us towards something else and that something else could be being able to understand one another through the waters in our body, through a kind of um, light bonding. So why I say that is that when I was interviewing an American Indian woman She said that she could speak to bees and and that she would watch their hives for long periods of time. Now, I actually shared this at the um, water conference in Germany to a bunch of scientists, biologists and physicists. And it was a bit on like, oh, God, you know, how are they going to receive this? But when they heard what I'm about to tell you, there were so many aha moments for them. So she said that she could, you know, she would watch their hives. And she said that one day a, a bee came out and communicated to her. And said, we don't mind you looking at our hive, but please don't look at it for too long because your conscious expression is putting too much light in the hive and we like it to be darker. And I thought that was extremely powerful because over the years, every now and then, I have captured water as it's beginning to freeze. It sends these little kind of shoots out, these little wee tiny spikes. And every now and then I'm able to catch it as it's just starting to form and move. And on the end of the spike is a light, and I've managed to get that on camera. And that light looks like a halo. And when I then apply her wisdom and this ancient wisdom with this um with this observation. What I think is actually happening is, is it's the light that's paving the way for the design of the water. And water is essentially mostly made of photons. So it's a liquid light. But when it starts to form into ice, but before it's a solid, it becomes a liquid crystal. Liquid crystals, that means it's more of a lattice like ordered structures. It's able to store more information. So it's a very powerful stage. But then you kind of think about crystals. Crystals and our technology, they store information. We're liquid crystals because essentially we're salt, water, water um, and salt. Salt is also a crystal with an electrical component. So all of these kinds of things bring us into this incredible potential of which we don't think we've even realized how much potential within this human vehicle that we are. Because if you pardon the pun, we boil it down. We're water, salts, minerals and consciousness water we love to label stuff as humans but um, but water we can say oh that's dead water because it's polluted or that's dead water because it's destructured or whatever but actually water doesn't die water will evaporate water will always go back into one of its other stages it's always in one of its stages salt as well you take a granule of salt which is cubic in nature, and you put it into water, it sort of disappears. I was like, oh, there's no salt. But we know there's salt in there because if you put enough in there, you can taste it. But what happens when this water evaporates, the salts are still there. Even when you cremate someone, their ashes are actually salts. So, again, we are made of these two kind of immortal components in a way, and then you talk about consciousness, and science just can't even really Explain consciousness because you can't take consciousness out of the equation, because we're always kind of aware of something happening, and so it's. Although it's interesting because I I went through the stage of trying to discover whether or not water was conscious or whether our consciousness was impacting the water.
1: And What's fascinating about what you just said too is if water is mostly made of photons, it's mostly light. And in in a natural environment, you can't really ever get water out of the environment. You might be able to sort of in an artificial way, create a perfectly water free (laughs) area. But then if the photons are, are, if water is mostly photons, then just whatever method you're using to observe, even your perfectly dry little vacuum chamber, that light is like water. So there's no way, just like consciousness, you can't really get behind you can't really get behind it and examine it without itself. Water itself can't be really removed from the equation in life or nature or the environment in any way, shape, or form. Then you know, and just to add, tack on one other thing about what I was saying with the uh, savior deities and water: a lot of them are actually drawn out of the water, like Moses on the basket, or you know, that they're they're usually being taken from the water itself. It's very interesting.
2: It is. Well, even um, in the Bible, it talks about how God um, spoke upon the face of the waters. And so the water had, was there and had a face. So it was water and God. And even um, in, the, in the Vedic scriptures, they say it says within there that, um, that all beings, all deities, all life is made of water. And it goes into these aspects of water. Even in the Quran, it talks about all things made of water. So this aspect of water and the fact that we are so focused on our carbon nature rather than our fluid nature, I think is very interesting because actually we are so much water. We are such a special, special type of water as well. And I, I feel that, you know, we are like liquid crystal solar panels. We are walking, absorbing light. And the absorption of light is such an important piece in our health and our well-being and our longevity. Um, and this kind of special water that I'm talking about is the water that our body takes in. H2O and creates H302 and and that's the kind of water inside of our cells which has these different properties.
1: Is this the fourth phase of water?
2: It's the fourth phase of water.
1: Is this what they call easy water?
2: It is exclusion zone so it excludes the solates so when you look for easy water it's quite interesting because I've gone to the lab and I've seen it and that you get a little naphion tube. It's like this little invisible tiny, not completely invisible, what is it, a see-through naphion tube. You put it into a little bit of water, and if there is this easy type of water in it, something very interesting happens And in that when you look through a microscope, you'll notice that they've also added something called microspheres that allows you to see if there's movement. So you'll see that these microspheres within the water start to move and propel through the tube, round and round and round and round and round, like a battery. Because essentially, what happens is when you push the uh, positive charge away, you're left with this negative charge, and they're side by side. They've created a battery which creates movement, and that's happening in our cells. And it happens in water even outside of ourselves. So, it's ex- certain waters anyway. So, it's very, very interesting. And often you'll find that type of water in deep underwater aquifers because it happens uh, a lot after when something, when water's been under pressure um, and when it's exposed to a lot of infrared light. And there's a lot of infrared light in the in the earth. Then it's everywhere, really, infrared light. So it's it's extremely interesting type of water. But I think that that's what plays into the power of this in-between stage, the stage between liquid and ice where I'm actually capturing the imagery. Um, my children have have taught me something very interesting about this. And I think the children are the ones that are coming forth to teach us new ways. And my daughter Shanti, she's kind of like a a very old soul. Um, And when she was about nine, uh, she was watching me do the crystallography and I was photographing it. So I was holding my Petri dish up with this, this kind of ice very thin layer of ice and it was quite beautiful and she said oh can I have that mummy and I said oh sure and I gave her the petri dish and she started doing something I didn't expect she started to eat the ice and I said oh what are you doing and she said oh it's good for me mummy I'm like oh really and then a while later um like a week or so her brother Rama he came over and he asked me to do the same thing. And I said, did you speak to your sister? And he said, no. And I'm like, oh, okay. He said, I said, why are you eating the ice? And he said, oh, just feels good to me. And I'm like, okay. And then every now and then they would come and they would ask to do that. So I, I look at patterns and I'm like, okay, there's a pattern here. This is very interesting. So as I started to teach my technique, parents started to come to me and say, you know, my children keep eating their crystallography. I'm like, you know what? So do I. I'm like, what do they know? that I don't know. And so then my husband, he decided that he was going to do a whole study on plant medicines. And so he was using words. So water doesn't read words, but water absorbs the energy of words and then crystallizes into the energy of that word. So that's an important piece as to why I use words as well for hydroglyphs. So he's very... They're um methodical. He's very kind of scientific in, in his methods actually. And so he would use a word related to, to a plant medicine for a whole week and take photos. His discoveries were amazing, but we'll focus in on this part. So for a whole week he was using the word ayahuasca. He was writing the word ayahuasca. And um putting the Petri dish on top of it for 30 seconds, doing the whole process, photographing it, and then he started to eat the ice. And he would do this about three or four times a day. He did it for a whole week. And at the end of that week, he came to me and he said, you know, um, I think that I really need to start taking this seriously. Because he had started to get some um, experiences from doing that. And that was extremely interesting to me. And so what I then started to do was share his experience with people in my beginner's workshops. And now I've had quite a few people who have had insomnia, who've been using the word rest, who have had depression, um, who have been using the word content or happy. Uh, We've had a lady who had had a vaccine injury who just spoke at my whole masterclass that had been doing it for six months, starting with the word connection and then feeling into what words she needed to use after that. That's now completely well. Um, And even I've used it when I've had a headache and just uh, like written the word peace. And again, I mean, these are, this is only a handful of people that have had an experience so far. It is, There is no sort of um, clinical trials, there's no nothing, but we are at the very, very precipice of something really big, the potential of something really big that requires no... Like drugs or pharmaceuticals or nothing. This is this is water in a very specific stage. It's very different than blessing your water in its liquid stage. Water in a liquid stage is updating its information every trillionth trillionth of a second. It's molecular chaos. But if you, it's very attracted to the um, that light frequency energy when you're focused on it and if you're focused on it for a specific time frame um, or a specific if you have a specific kind of relationship with water it's like how do we have relationships with water well actually we have relationships with water all the time because we are bodies of water having relationships with other bodies of water we are kind of water always in search of water Someone once said said to me, what if water is expressing its consciousness through us and through every living thing on this planet to observe itself from every perceivable and imperceivable perspective, which I thought was a very interesting idea. And so, you know, we're we're kind of looking at water through a new lens, seeing that it's potentially seeing us. And with all, all of these aspects anyway, and I can honestly go on and on and on, but I'll bring it kind of back to this idea. Is water conscious or is is the, um, or is my consciousness affecting the water? And I think that in the beginning, I would have said that my consciousness was affecting the water. But over the course of time, there have been times when I've been like, well, you know, water is... is has shown me things that I didn't have any preconceived idea for. For example, my mum died in 1999. She, to me, was my angel on earth. She was my earth angel. And I used to live in Japan, and this was before the days of cell phones and emails and whatnot, and mum and I would write to each other. And at the end of every letter, my mother would attempt to draw a circle, and she'd do a little heart in the middle. I have a bunch, a stack of these letters that nobody else has ever seen, <laughs> um, except for me. I have, I mean, I, I have shown my daughter, then we've gone through them, but you'll see. There's a there's a misshapen circle with a heart in the middle. And I said to the water when I was missing my mum, I said, I said, do you think you could connect to my mum? So I had no idea what water would show. I had no preconceived idea what might happen, but I got this misshapen circle with a heart in the middle. And every year on her birthday, I, I ask water to connect to my mum, and I get the same symbol. And when um, I've, you know, I've um, done this for somebody else. I've seen something relevant for their father who had passed. In fact, some lady, a lady asked, you know, she was desperately sad because her cat, cat had passed away and, you know, some people's pets become their children. And so she was really, really worried about this cat being okay. And so I asked the water, you know, is the cat, is her cat okay? <laughs> and um, you saw the back of a cat's head with its ears looking down over some some clouds that kind of looked like um there was sun on them, and you know I showed her that, and she was she just felt so relieved. And my mum, she would always say before she died, you know, she said, "I'm always going to be with you, you know, even when even when you can't see me anymore, I'm still going to be with you." And I believe that that's true. I believe that water, in all its many stages, and in all of the subtleties and the secrets are in the subtleties. Water is the key to the, the way in which we d- kind of don't die. The physical, yes, but the, the, the other aspect, the, the part that makes us us, no. And and so what, what I actually think is that that comes down into these two types of water, the physical and the spiritual waters. And I've interviewed people that have had near-death experiences. In fact, I've had one myself. But these people, when I interviewed them, there were three that said the same thing. And I thought it was very relevant to this. So they said that they felt themselves rising, which, of course, is what a gas does. And then they said that they saw, they looked down, and they observed their bodies being resuscitated. And these three people, they said the same thing. They said, I, they said, I thought, oh, I hope that person's going to be okay. They had no I, I, attachment to that physical body, or the sense of self or I anymore to them, their body. And so, when you think about it, um, we have we live in two worlds. We 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 live in the in, in the world we live on, the one we live on, and the world we live in. So the world we live in is essentially felt and experienced through our senses. Our eyes take in imagery, our ears take in sound, our tongue takes in taste, our fingers can touch. All these different experiences are felt very sensory, but they're felt within this world, within this uh, body. So what is it that we're able to do that actually ever experiences anything outside of this body? If even if touch and sight and everything is being experienced within, well, we can observe ourselves and my son, Rama, recently broke his wrist because he had his, he fell off a skateboard. And so he had to go to hospital, and they had to reset his arm. And so it was going to require rather a lot of force. And they didn't want to put him completely under anaesthetic, so they gave him a drug called ketamine. And so when they put that drug in his arm, I watched my 15-year-old son, within four seconds, say this. He said, what the fuck? And he couldn't say it, the last word, because he was gone. His mouth was open. His eyes were bulging. He was kind of conscious, but he was like not in the room. And even the doctor said, he's going to be here, but he's going to be somewhere else. I'm like, okay. So I watch these nurses yanking on his arm. I see him. He's just all over the show. When he finally comes around, I ask him, what was it like? He said, oh, I was watching them from above do this to my arm. He said, I saw you, I heard what you were saying to this doctor. I was talking to the doctor about something. He told me what I said, and, you know, he observed it. He said, I kept going into these, like, moving holes, like vortexes, and I, I, I moved into this and that and the other, but quite often I was observing myself. I'm like, wow. I said, can you have you ever observed yourself? Any other time? He said, oh, I do it all the time at school, but not in such a crazy way. I said, really? And he said, when I'm really bored and the teachers are droning on, he says, I kind of like just come out of myself and I, and I watch myself and watch all the people from above. And, you know, we even observe ourselves sometimes when we're watching ourselves in dreams. So I did a whole study also on dreams. And I, I'm telling you all of these things to building up a bit of a story. So I thought, well, when am I not conscious or or projecting an outcome? I thought, surely when I'm dreaming. So I left it, would leave a Petri dish of water by my bed. I did this for about three months with the intention that it capture some part of my dream. And so I sleep in the total darkness. So this was done in darkness. And I'd have the, I'd sleep, I'd wake up and I'd immediately go and I would freeze the sample. Now I used only the dreams I forget because otherwise if I'm thinking about the dream, then I'm projecting the thought into the water or could be. So um, I have quite vivid dreams, but I used to remember them all when I was young, but I kind of remember them less and less now. Uh, But so often we're jogged, our memory can be jogged by things. And so the picture that came out in the ice would be so clear. Most of the time it would jog my memory of the dream. And I'm like, how can water be accompanying me in the dream time? If it is not, it, 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 there's got to be more happening here. And then this then applies to people that can astral travel, people that, um, you know, the, this idea of observing that remote view. So how is it that we are able to be conscious but also be observing other things? It's a very interesting idea, but I think it comes down to electrical charge too—the silver thread, if you will. I think is actually the um, this kind of electrical charge. So even people that have had these near-death experiences. So once the heart stops beating, the brain still has some um, kind of small activity um, after about 10 to 12 minutes afterwards. And recently um, on my masterclass, I had Jerry Pollack talking and he showed um, an example, an experiment that one of his um, colleagues did where they stopped a chicken heart um, and they were able to see that, yes, the heartbeat all dropped and the, the easy water that they were charting dropped But when, but what they found was that it didn't just drop; it it came back up again. And the water that that water within the 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 dead body essentially was still flowing for up to an hour. And and in fact, it would increase if you put it near a hydrophilic surface, so or or expose more infrared light to it. The 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 water would actually start to go up on the chart. So this was with a dead body. So then he was saying, when do we really know if somebody's dead? So any movement in the body is going to be creating a small piezoelectricity because we salt water as well. And so I think they were able to come back into their body, even though one person had been considered to be dead for 20 minutes and they just kept resuscitating him. Eventually he came back. It's a long time. His name's Hone Edmonds. He wrote a whole book on it, his experience. And so... You know, you kind of have this concept of like, well, if the electrical charge is keeping us here, then even, even there's still a possibility that we can come back into the physical body. And then once that's gone, then actually the, the, the spirit, the essence, the subtle body is able to move on from the physical body. And this then ties into homeopathy, surprisingly. So people were asking me, you know, why, why do you think that the higher dilutions of homeopathy are more potent? And I said, because I think that the further away it gets from any physicality, the more interspirit it becomes, which actually makes it expand its power, expand its potency. And it's kind of like the thinner, the thinner, the thinner, the thinner that little thread becomes, the more interspirit it really is. And so um, someone once said that death is kind of like taking off an uncomfortable shoe. All of a sudden, you're so more comfortable, you're so more expanded. And so I have such a a more multifaceted perspective. And so, you know, I believe that water ties into all of these realms. It ties them all together. It makes things make sense. So um, that's just a couple of thoughts that I've had on that particular topic
1: this is really good stuff <laughs> i remember when my buddy patrick from pat life podcast was telling me about you and i was like yeah 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 i definitely want to have her on and i made a note i'm glad we're getting to it now but you have such a great flow state the clearly the water <laughs> is having that kind of an influence on you i really enjoy just listening to you take us from one thing to another um You know, back to the language of it, because that's always something I'm fascinated in. And I I take it that you're very interested in and tuned into like the uh, Hindu Sanskrit realm. And so between Latin and Hindu or the Sanskrit languages, which have a seem to have a common origin, the letters M and W actually switch. Mm. So whenever we're saying water... you could do a W to M switch and call it mater, which is the Latin word for mother. Fascinatingly enough. And I've had a thought many times that, you know, we do, we really die or is life something that goes on, flows on. And we just maybe go through a new, uh, you know, it's like, I call it like womb hopping. (laughs) Like death is actually just getting born in another, in the next existence. So what i mean by that is like right now the waters that we're within could very well be like literal amniotic fluid waters of a womb supporting us and maybe that could be why they're it's so keyed into us so loving so nurturing you know there's a lot of possibilities there um and I'm sure you probably have some thoughts on that, but we are getting to the end of the first segment. So I do an first hour and then a second hour. And I wanted you to please tell people about, you know, your website, your work uh, that they can connect to or ways that they can maybe work with you directly or um, get in touch with you, you know, all of your plugs for people who want to stay, you know, keeping up with what you're doing. And this is all very fascinating.
2: Yeah. Um, Well, the best place to look at my work because I share daily is on Instagram, which is vedaaustin underscore water. Uh, For anyone who wants to learn the technique or hop on a masterclass, I only do masterclasses three or four times a year, and I think the next one will be in February. The last one was eight hours long, um, but we actually had some incredible speakers, um, as well as I share all the studies that I've done. And so um, that's vedaaustin.com. And for those of you on Facebook, it's Veda Austin at Water Researcher. Um, and as far as people, like I need other people to help me with this hydroglyph language. You know, I've, I'm so grateful. I've just um, hopped on board with a, a, a guy who's helping me um, who is a kind of a math whiz. And he's kind of a math genius, just a young guy. And he um, also works and helps teach people uh, around what quantum physics is all about. And so he has been geeking out over the hydroglyphs because he's seeing them from a more mathematical perspective. And he's looking at at it like this potentially means zero point energy. This means this, this, then this, and this, and this. In fact, when you start getting hydroglyphs, Together in a petri dish, you start to learn how to put them together. How do we read multiple glyphs? So there was one which actually ended up was an equation. Which I'm not a math whiz, so let let me just state that now. (laughs) And so he um, and he was, and so there were like four electrical charge glyphs and two free energy glyphs, and the equation was something like um, something like something doubles the the something, something. Um, I'll find the equation and we can talk about it afterwards. But he said to me, my point is that he said to me, you know, how did you come up with that equation? And I'm like, well, I didn't. I just read the glyphs. And he said, because that's high top, high end math. He said that actually ends up, you know, equating to something like a big deal that has been used in anti-gravity devices. And I'm like, okay. So the more people that help me the more people that see this, the more people that learn and find new glyphs, you're literally helping us all understand a new language. And anybody can do this from home.
1: Yeah, a new language that might be the original primary language.
2: That's what, this that's might
1: be it. your way. This might be the way of talking to the creative intelligence of all reality itself. You know, it's fascinating
2: yeah someone said well maybe um water can be the mouthpiece uh, for nature and in which case you know all all of this is nat- natural it was nature so it's very very interesting the potential is huge but it's also inviting us to dive deep into a more feeling language than a more thinking language because it's really about how this makes you feel. Like when you actually see it and and then you eat it if you want to do that, or you look at the imagery and you realize that this is like a little mini world in these petri dishes. this this is like water has designed this organically for you relative to you. It's truly remarkable.
1: Yeah, I'd really be interested to see what Water came up with on the idea of numbers. You brought up the mathematician guy.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, that's a fascinating idea of the nine digits and how they have these spiritual qualities to them. What one means is something inherent to nature. What three means is something inherent to nature. And maybe water could shed new light on the uh, Ineat as well.
2: Mm. Yeah. Often I'll see fours in a very specific shape. So like the four that goes like, I'm, I'm doing it to you, but the one that doesn't kind of all go in one thing. I don't know, like, so it looks like a plus sign with the thing. So I'll see a lot of fours. I'll see um, a lot of A's. It's interesting because um, and I don't quite know what to make of this. Uh, but um, years and years ago, the when I asked water if it knew my name, it created this perfect VA uh, linked together the way I actually link my initials. And it was kind of freaky. And um, I've done that several times now, and I've seen it repeat it. But what's weird to me and amazing, of course, I'm still amazed because I'm not doing this. Water is doing this. That's the other thing I always have to remind people: that your work, your work. No, it's water's work with me. Um, but I, uh, people around the world are starting to get VA in their ice a lot. We, I see, especially on the the. the um, the workshops that I give where people I'm helping them get their Petri dishes, like the freezing time, right. And everything that'll nearly always be someone who gets my initials in their water. So it's very interesting. Um, And sometimes you get a bunch of little like teas. You can sometimes get a tea. Um, So it's, I I get one nine quite a bit as well. Someone else on my workshop got like 19 or one nine as well. The other just um, uh, yesterday. So Yeah, the numbers thing is an interesting one. Um, And it's like even with timeframes, does water even know timeframes? So that might be something where you can get into um, later. But um, water's only given me two timeframes. I was trying to get Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. What will they give me for any days? It wasn't having – it wasn't designing. And then uh, I tried holidays. I've tried all kinds of things. I'm like, it doesn't seem to want to give me anything – and then I spoke to Venice McNeil, who was the director of a series called Magical Egypt, and she said, "Why don't you try before and after an event? She's kind of like a wedding. All the energy goes towards the wedding, the build up, the build up. Then there's the event, and then there's the marriage." She said, quite often, either side of an event has a lot of energy. So I thought that's a good idea. So I started to um, write the words um, before and after Christmas, before and after Monday, before and after this and that and the other. Uh, But the only thing that's worked has been before and after Easter. And Easter is not a set date, it's set by the moon. So it's quite interesting because I don't know if this is true. I watched it uh, on some YouTube channel someone sent me, but but it somehow – sort of made some sense relative to the hydroglyphs that I got. So the hydroglyph for before Easter is a cross. with the, At the top of the cross, if you imagine, there's a line going directly to the outer part of the cross that's going horizontally. So it's kind of like going as if it was starting to make the shape of a kite. So it's just one line. And the after Easter is a cross on its own and this has been repeated again to get one hydroglyph. I have to have seen it 50 times right so so this is really interesting because in this youtube video that i watched this man was saying that we are supposedly have meant to have 13 months not 12 and he said that the 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 um beginning is really at easter there's the one one day out of the entire year which which is kind of this day of rest and, and then the next one, the next year begins after the day of Easter and ends the day before Easter, which was kind of interesting. And he was talking about deck, deck meaning 10 and uh, nove meaning nine and sept, you know, meaning eight and oct or oct meaning eight. So it kind of it's interesting when you start kind of going through this, you're saying, see, it doesn't make sense whether or not that's true. Again, I have no idea, but it's an interesting observation.
1: Oh, yeah, and the mysteries of the calendar. interesting that water picks up on Easter that it's a floating thing, but <laughs> pun intended, but yeah, okay, we'll uh we'll we're gonna head over to the second hour, everybody. Thank you, Veda, for being here. Looking forward to continuing on and uh, see everybody on the other side. Whoa, holy cow, that was one of the most woo. Episodes I've ever talked, had in my life. Okay. So first of all, you might not know why I'm saying that because you didn't hear the second hour possibly. So if you're just one of the free listeners on YouTube, we need to talk about getting you on Rockfin or Patreon. <laughs> Cause oh, you don't even know what. Okay. We got into some of the most crazy shit. So I'm like still kind of buzzing on the conversation, but I'll do my best. To talk to you about the uh, the contents of the plus extension and to wrap up some of my thoughts because Veda was incredible in her flow state. I pretty much just got to sit back and enjoy her uh very eloquent description of all the things that she got into and didn't really have much room to say some of the like, even like questions I had and this is not a complaint it's actually the best kind of guest for a host like to just be able to sit back and all the interesting things just keep flowing and the gravy keeps ladling. It is the best. So really happy about that. Thank you to uh, Patrick from Pat Life for even turning me on to Veda. I would love to see her make the rounds on some of the other shows that, you know, that we like because there's tons of, she's got so much good information. Anyway, okay. All that aside, um, do go check out her website, VedaAustin.com. She's got a YouTube channel definitely go show her some love and support on her Instagram. If you use Instagram and wow. Okay. So first let me just tell you about the plus extension contents. Uh, You can get the plus extension on Rockfin, as I said, or on Patreon. If you're new to my channel and you don't know what I'm talking about, just go to the links in the show notes and you will see, you know, something about join interverse plus if you want the extended version of the conversation and you definitely do for this one. You don't even know how good it was, but we talked about, <laughs> my opening question for that was like, so uh these hydroglyphs, do they correspond to crop circles? And I thought, oh, I'm very clever with this question. And so out of left field. And she's like, oh yeah, I'm already checking into that. <laughs> Which is awesome. Wow, that is really cool. So I'm really happy to hear that. She's checking into the Hydroglyph uh, crop circle connection, and we talked about that. Um, and she described how water responds to frustration energy, which was fascinating, very much aligns with the biofield anatomy as I understand it and experience it when I work with clients. She, we talked about the singularity of all waters and a lot of other things in there, but then out of the Blue, <laughs> another possible like water, uh, phrase. So many phrases and idioms are about water. It's kind of ridiculous when you get into it. But out of the blue, she started going into the a talk, about, a story about an, a near death experience she had when she was young, uh, in the ocean and meeting an underwater being. And there's UFOs involved in a portal. And I know all that sounds a little out there, but like, nothing's really too out there for interverse. I'm not putting that on you. I know you guys are very open-minded and the coolest of all audiences, but yo, I just want you to hear it and you need to get into the plus extension to hear all that. And if you hear her tell the story, you're going to be like, wow, this sounds very genuine and this sounds very fascinating. And if you have any kind of experience in looking at paranormal occult fringe type stuff, the, uh, the story checks a lot of boxes of other things I've heard along, you know, my path of exploring these fringe topics. And we know consistency is the hallmark of truth. So I hope you guys check that out. Um, We discussed a little bit of, you know, how water gave birth to fire, fiery water, watery fire. What's that about? And then she told us a a bit of a snippet from, I don't know a better word for it other than channeled, that she'd kind of like channeled over the course of a year this big big history of sorts or like you know almost like an observation on an earlier civilization and it it has to do with antarctica and pyramids and and sailors and all kinds of fascinating stuff i want to know more about that but apparently the book isn't published <laughs> so you know these are always the most interesting woo stories where it's like this person's not doing this to try to get attention. They're not even she's not even publishing the book where she wrote all this down. It just came through her and she like needed to write it down. And I really hope she publishes it and we can get into it uh on a future show and I'd like to read it. I'm not always one for channeled material and of course you can't, you know, like enter it into court as a <laughs> legally it's not evidence of anything. But hey, whenever uh channeled material checks a lot of boxes like I said of other stuff that I have run into and there's that consistency to it, it does, it does make for some very interesting mental, uh, food. (laughs) So check out the plus extension, $5 on Patreon, $10 on Rockfin, you know, get the whole Rockfin network for the $10. It's a great deal or $5 for just my stuff on Patreon and to get my entire archive of everything I've ever put out. Super worth it. Please support the podcast you love. And I think this will end up being the last show of the year, depending on when I release it. I don't know. There might be another show before this. I'm thinking as I talk, but either way, it's been a great year. I appreciate you guys so much. One of the fun things that came up at the end of the year is I launched my merch store, which you may have heard me talking about, but check it out. This crazy shirt. I should stand up so you can see it better. If you're watching the video, this this crazy shirt is my art. <laughs> So there's a little view of it, but go to interverse merch.com if you want a shirt like this or, you know, now that you can see it on me, you can tell that it's a really high quality uh printing, manufacturing, what have you. And all the garments that you buy off my store ought to be that way. And it's my original art and you're supporting just me whenever you buy that stuff. So check out my merch store, interverse merch.com. I appreciate that a lot. And gosh, gosh. So many things about this conversation that I would have loved to go into with her, but there was only so much time, and it really flies by when you're having fun. First of all, when she was talking about how the, you know these hydroglyphs, or how like water frozen by a, after being next to a basket of fruit gave her an image of an apple in the ice, I was like holographic blood, and I didn't have time to bring that up. Maybe she's heard of the Bigglesons, maybe not, but. This I wouldn't call it an explanatory factor, but this hydroglyphs, crystallography, she's calling it, really does tie into the holographic blood that we just talked at the Bigglesons about. And I'm wondering, like, is it is it the water in the blood that is doing these holograms, if you will? Must be. I mean, <laughs> There's definitely a link here. That's interesting. I really wanted to get into like what she thought about different types of water. Because I've heard, yes, alkaline water, good. No, alkaline water, bad. Kangen water, good. Kangen water, bad. Yada, yada, yada. I'm personally on spring water right now. And that seems to be really working for me. (laughs) I'm going to keep doing that. But maybe not everyone has access to that. I luckily do. Anyway, that'd be a good conversation topic. She wants to come back on. Veda Austin wants to come back on. And I do want to have her back, hopefully for a vibrant, because I think if we got like Gabriel in there and I don't know, you you guys tell me who else would be good for the panel to talk to Veda, especially if you hear the second hour, I would like to know who, you know, raise your hand out there, hit me up if you want to be on the panel and talk to her about her experiences with the channeling and with the uh, underwater beings that are in the plus extension of this conversation. Yeah. I'd also love to know what she thinks about rivers and if she's familiar with Michael Wan's work on Susquehanna alchemy, you know, rituals involving rivers. What about dams? They're called dams. <laughs> Seems like it's not a good thing. Uh And obviously the whole conversation revolved around cymatics, but I would love to talk more about cymatics with her. And also... there's so many synchronicities in like our small world. But uh, the day before I put out the holographic blood conversation, Owen Benjamin did a whole stream about drinking blood and, you know, the idea of communion as the Catholics have and all that. And anyway, his story was about like once eating a rabbit heart that was like fresh and it had the blood in it and then having dreams about being a rabbit and like taking on a lot of like the fear and the energy of a rabbit for a couple, for like an extended period of time. So again, like if there's memory in water, then there's definitely memory in blood and <clears throat> maybe that's why there's like the Old Testament ban on eating or consuming or drinking blood. And also maybe that's why we have all these stories about the uh you know the powers that were and their proclivity for blood drinking and blood rituals and all that. I mean, that stuff goes way back. Maybe there is a type of power, knowledge, memory, consciousness transfer through blood like that. I don't know, but it makes sense why we drain it out of our, our uh, meat animals before we eat them, because you don't want to be a rabbit or a cow or like take on the consciousness of those beings. Or maybe we would just stop eating animals entirely if we were taking on those, uh, aspects as a consequence. So. And that's not a judgment against people that eat meat. I currently do. I went for five or six years without eating meat. So, like, I've seen both worlds. And anyway, that's a tangent we don't need to get into. But, <laughs> yeah. And then she was talking about the, like, sonic signature of each organ. I'd really like to go into that more. Um, You know, Eileen's, Eileen McKusick's Sonic Alchemy comes to mind. I saw her sing, Veda had singing bowls in the background. I wanted to talk about singing bowls. There's a ton of stuff I would like to talk about with her. So I loved this conversation. I hope you did too. And I would love it if you chose this particular episode to be the one that you go and sign up for plus and support the podcast. Oh, and on the merch store thing, interversemerch.com, if you use the code interverse, I'm pretty sure it's that. Let me just double check. I think it's just interverse. If you use that code yeah. No, I'm sorry. Inner merch. <laughs> and it's going to be at the top of the page. So just go to innerversemerch.com. The code Inner Merch for the rest of this month is going to give you a 15% off your order. I might leave that up um longer, but you know, by the time you're hearing this, the month will be almost over. So if you want to get on that, definitely do. There's so much on the merch store. I'm really happy about it. The puzzle is really fun. There's yoga mats. There's Shirts, hoodies, backpacks, hats, everything. You got a phone case with my logo on it. I mean, can't beat that. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna get out of here. But I had a great time. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we'll have Veda back on because she is a truly fascinating and unique character. In fact, she's so fascinating. I think I said fascinating like five times in this talk, and I just couldn't help myself. Fascinating. I was fascinated. <laughs> I hope you guys had a great Christmas out there. Much love to you all. Talk to you soon and uh, be good wherever you are and know that you are good. You actually are good regardless, no matter what. You are good. Goodness is in your nature. Goodness is nature. You are nature. Love you very much. Talk to you soon and uh, bye-bye.